Well, good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. Glad you guys braved the weather and made it here this morning. Uh, I think one thing since we've started 1 Corinthians that has really kind of stood out to me is the, the emphasis that Paul puts on the local church, that this church in Corinth is a mess. They've got all sorts of issues. They've got sinners that are causing problems back and forth. And so if you've ever had a, a church experience like that, like you're in good company because this was, this was what Corinth was like. But I'm struck with this, this amazing thought that, that Paul thought the local church was worth it. So he didn't just say, you know what, Corinthians, you guys are having all this division. Why don't you just go ahead and have church in your own homes? And then I'll send you a letter and you just read it in your own homes. He didn't do that. He thought it was worth it to have the local church assembled together, so much so that he's willing to pray for them constantly, struggle over them, write letters to them intensely and, and with some great language, both of encouragement and of warning. Like Paul thought that the local church was worth it. And so hopefully that's your experience here today. And if it's not, like, may God change us, right? Because he is the one who's our authority over us. And so if we, if we don't think it's worth it, we need to listen to God a little bit because it is. Listen to Paul he deals with this messed up church, the local church, it matters and it's worth it. And so as we turn to, to God's word this morning, would you just join me in prayers as Paul uh, begins to address us with a kind of a stern warning. Father, your, your glory is beautiful and it is worth giving up all of our lives and all of our being and all of our glory just to go for yours. And you tell us that that journey, that that sojourn is going to be worth it. Lord, that nothing here. Even the sufferings that we face aren't even worth comparing to the glory that we will be received if we have put our faith and trust in you. And so, God, as, as people who come in here today who, who are seeking your glory, who want to glorify you in your name, would you help us in this time to do that very thing, to receive now, to, to hear from your word. And if it's stern warning that we need, then give us a stern warning. And if it's a, a big hug and encouragement, then give us that, Lord. But we want what you would have for us for our good and for your glory. And so we pray for that right now, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, through my short time of being a parent, one of the things that I've, I've noticed is that there's, there's a lot of building that goes on in our house. We use a lot of blocks. We use a lot of random toys to just make towers, just start stacking stuff up. And what I've noticed so often, as you've surely noticed this as well, is that we've seen our fair share of good and bad building. So there have been many times when we're building something up and I'm just like, that's not going to stand. It's not going to work. Like you're going to have to switch that up or it's going to fall over. I give warnings because I know like if you build something with the bottom being very small and the top getting bigger and bigger, like it's going to collapse and fall over. The structure is not going to be able to stand. And so I'm trying to teach my kids, not Reed yet, he's too young to start building, but, but and I'm trying to teach her, like, the way you build something will make a difference in the end. The way you start out something and the way you put blocks on top of one another, the way you put these Legos together, it's going to matter when you get to the top of the building. The, the, the whole creation matters. The whole series of building matters. And it's going to matter whether this structure stands or whether the structure falls. And this is exactly kind of the, the way that Paul is addressing them today. He, he's giving them this warning passage, this warning of, of what's going to happen because it matters how you build. This is what he's, he's telling them. And so last week we, we saw kind of toward the end that Paul's using kind of an agricultural type term. I planted, Apollos watered, but only God gave the growth. But now he's kind of doing the same image, but just in a different setting. He's switching from agricultural to, to a building. And this building is referring, as we'll see later, to a local church. And, and the main thrust of the passage for the Corinthians and for us is to take care how you build on this building. Take care of what you do here because this building is God's temple. It's the place where God's spirit dwells. And so he gives them this one big idea and thought, take care how you build on this thing. 
because it's going to matter. And as we all know, with any building, with any sort of structure, the foundation is vital. The foundation sets the the stage for everything else. So as we see in verse 10, what Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. But let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now, Paul isn't being an arrogant guy here and just saying, I'm a master builder. And all you other guys are are regular builders, but I'm a master builder. No, master builder was a term kind of where we get our term architect. He was the one who was the the grand strategist here. He was directing construction on this thing. So this is why he calls himself the the master builder. And and what he's really doing is kind of copying what he said in in chapter 3, verse 6, where he's just saying, I planted It's kind of the same idea. He's the master builder. He planted. He's he's talking in those kind of terms. Rather than a field, he's using a building. Rather than planting, he's the one who who laid the foundation. And and this is what Paul came to Corinth to do, to lay a foundation for them. And and it's really, really hard to overemphasize the importance of the foundation of any building. Because the basis of everything that comes on top is built on this foundation. And so if the top's going to come together, the bottom has to be laid well. I, did, I tried to look up some statistics this week, but I know it's like if you're like a quarter of an inch off on the foundation, you're going to be, depending on the height of the structure, a huge amount off. And so if the foundation isn't sound and secure, if it's not measured out precisely and right where it needs to be, then you're going to have a lot more problems fitting the top together like you want it to fit together. And you're going to have to add or take away different pieces. And so the foundation is hugely important. If the foundation's off, then the top is going to be a huge mess. And so that's why it's worth talking about what, what foundation did, did Paul lay? What, what kind of foundation did he bring? And, and there's no mystery here. Paul doesn't want to leave him in any sort of mystery of what the foundation was. If you go on to verse 11, it said, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And within this greater context of these first three chapters, we know what he's talking about. When he says Jesus Christ, he talks about the message of the cross, Christ and him crucified. The foundation is the gospel of Jesus. This is the foundation that he came to lay before them. And the gospel is simply put again, it's the good news that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, wicked sinners like you and me and these Corinthians can have peace, can be made right with a holy God. This is the foundation of which Paul builds his church on. This is what he came giving them, Christ and him crucified, the folly of the cross where they can have peace with the holy God. This is the foundation. The gospel is the foundation. And it's the foundation to the church in Corinth and the basis of everything that they are to do. And Paul has belabored this point over and over and over again. If you look how many times he uses cross or Christ Throughout these first three chapters, he's trying to get them to see everything through that kind of lens, that they, they are and they be and they do all through the gospel. Because in reality, this is the only foundation that can hold a church. Jesus Christ is the only foundation that can hold a church. If you have a different foundation, it means you have a different building altogether. You're talking about something separate. If the foundation isn't Jesus, you're talking about something else, maybe a country club. Maybe a restaurant, but you're not talking about a church. Jesus must be the foundation. If what is being built is the church of God, the only possible foundation is Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Allen, Texas, this is a city kind of close to to Dallas. They built the $60 million high school football stadium. $60 million high school football stadium. Maybe idol worship there. I don't know. I'm not going to put a judgment on them, but $60 million for a high school football stadium is a large chunk of change. 
And what's sad about this building is that they built this huge structure, this huge stadium, and it wasn't even long after they got it completed that they started seeing cracks all over this place. So much so that this last year would have been the first year they would have planted it. It was completely shut down. They could not go in it. There were cracks everywhere in this foundation. And, and somewhere along the line, someone had messed up the plans with what was going on top. And so the, the structure that they had on there, the, the foundation and everything, it wasn't able to hold it. And so there were these huge cracks. It couldn't be supported. And so much so that they had to completely shut it down. And so to add beyond the foundation caused major structural problems. And the same is true here. Paul has told them over and over again, I've laid this foundation of Jesus Christ. And to add onto this foundation more than what I've, what I've given it laid for, then you're going to have all sorts of problems. And so before we even get to the building that Paul's going to talk about later on, we have to be clear on the foundation. We have to know what we're looking at. If we, we have to take a good look at what we're building on. And Paul's saying, I've laid a foundation for you, and it's Jesus Christ. It's him crucified. This is the foundation for the church in court. This is the foundation for sojourn, and it's our only hope that we be laid on this foundation that is Christ Jesus. You see, if Christ didn't live the life that we should have lived, if he didn't die the death that we deserve to die, if he didn't raise from the dead, then we are still in our sins and we are fools and to be pitied. And we're especially foolish for showing up on a Sunday morning when it's snowing outside and the, the roads are, are bad and coming here if this Jesus wasn't really the son of God, wasn't really raised from the dead. We would be fools. But if the gospel is true, which it is, then, then, we have a reason to be here on snowy days. We have a ground to gather together because our foundation isn't the weather. Our foundation is Christ Jesus. Our foundation is his life, his death, his resurrection. And the gospel is what forms the church. It's what calls us out of darkness and into the light. It calls a people, not just an individual to have church in their home by themselves. It calls a people into relationship with God and relationship with none another. And what the gospel also does for this church is it doesn't just form them, but it fuels them. It fuels them to go and make more disciples of all the nation. It fuels them to come together and form one another into the image of Christ. And this is the gospel for sojourn. This is the foundation for sojourn. That this is what forms us and fuels us to all of our action. And so this is what we say here at Sojourn all the time. You're going to hear these words that we love the gospel, that we're gospel-centered. We're not just throwing those out there. Christ Jesus is the foundation. And if it does not, if he is not the foundation, then you should not come here because we would not be a church. So the foundation is Christ, and it matters to everything we do, everything we build, all that we're doing here. The foundation is important. And so think about this. We love because Christ first loved us. We serve because we were first served by Christ Jesus. We go and make disciples because Christ is our Lord and commander and has told us to go make disciples. We pray because we have a great high priest. These are all gospel truths that we're founding all of our lives on individually and in this life of the church. Do you see how the gospel is central to it all? Do you see how the gospel is the foundation for everything that we do here? And we could stop. If the, if the gospel is the foundation, we shouldn't do any of those things because we'd be fools. But the gospel is the foundation. And we know that this is how we're to act. And we can't forget this point. And I don't want to just go beyond the foundation to the building just yet because we have to know what that is. Because if what is being built is the church of God. The only possible foundation is Jesus Christ. Paul said this is the foundation that he laid for them. And so to move away from this foundation would be to move away from the church and would be, become some other building entirely. So the building, whatever it is, has to be congruent with the foundation, which is Christ Jesus. 
And because the gospel is the foundation, Paul then gives them this stern warning in this passage. Because the foundation is Christ Jesus, this, this is setting the stage for all the warning that he's given. The foundation is Christ. And so this building bears his name. And so then he can come with them with this stern warning, because not because his name is at stake, but because Christ's name is at stake. He says to them in verse 10 that he was their, this master builder, this grand architect, this great strategist of getting this all laid out. But there are other builders, it says in verse 10. He's the one who built on a foundation, but he says someone else is building upon it. But let each one take care how he builds upon it. And this is the same kind of picture, once again, as, as earlier in verse 6 and 7, where he says, you know, I was planting and Apollos was watering, but only God gives the growth. And so what he was getting at there was the, wood, the laborers aren't the most important. It's God who gives the growth. And the same thing is happening here. I was the master builder, but this is God's building. And so let's view it in that light. This is, this is God's building. So there's others building upon it. There's work to be done. And God, in his graciousness, has employed sinful human beings to build on his church. So there's work to be done. And he says there's others building upon it. This is, this is the means for building a church. It is disciples making more disciples. Is people who love and have the foundation of Christ Jesus going out and sharing that with other people and building in that way. This is the means of building the church. It's disciples, it's leaders, it's teachers, it's pastors, all building upon this church. And so as we go into the kind of the rest of this passage, it seems that in general here, Paul is really targeting these, these church leaders. We'll see how it applies to, to all of us, whether we're a church leader or not. But it seems that he's kind of directing it at them as these kind of key builders in the church. And what he does is that he warns them, take care how you build. Be careful here. And this is similar to other passages that we've seen throughout Scripture. James 3.1 says to, to teachers, not many of you should be teachers because you're going to be judged with a greater strictness. And so this isn't incongruent with something Paul would say at other places or James would say. And there's warnings for people who want to lead, who want to teach. You need to be careful, take care, because it's going to matter in the end. And so when he warns them to take care, what he's saying is, give thought to this. Like, think through this. Give your attention here. Put energy and thought into how you're building, because it's going to matter. Consider how you're building on this foundation. And so he warns them, take care. He doesn't want haphazard building where you're just throwing supplies on there. Like, let's just do this and do that. No, give it thought. Think through it. Be considerate of how you're building. Because if you're building anything, you want to give it thought or you, you likely know that it's not going to work out. If I was just going to go build a shed and I didn't give it any thought or lay down any plans or how it's going to work and I start throwing things together, likely my, my work wouldn't be very good. I know myself, probably wouldn't make it very straight. Probably wouldn't even know how to get it to stand right. I, I, I wouldn't know. I've got to give it thought. I've got to consider it. And the same idea is here. Take care how you build. Consider it. Give it some thought before you're just throwing stuff on there. That's the way to cause some disaster. That's the way to cause some problems within the church is just start haphazardly building. And so let's think about how did, how did Paul build? What was he doing? Well, the, the way, way beginning, at the very start, John said that, that Paul said straight from Acts, straight from 1 Corinthians, Paul came to Corinth to do what? To teach, to teach the word. He came to teach. This is how he's building. This is the primary reason he even went to Corinth was to give him Christ and him crucified, to teach the word clearly to him. But, but Paul also is going and he's making disciples and he's leaving people behind in certain places. He's, he's building with his teaching and his preaching and he's building with the disciples that he's leaving behind and training up. 
And this is the same way that we are to build. If you're a church leader, if you're just a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're to build by these things, by making more disciples, by multiplying ourselves, by, by showing people what it means to walk with Jesus, by living that life out there before them. If you're a leader or a teacher, you're to teach with sound doctrine, things that are, are carefully thought out. You're not just throwing your own ideas of what Scripture says out there. You're giving it thought. This is what Paul did. This is how he worked, and there's still work to be done. There's a lot of building still left, and it's to be done in line with this foundation, congruent with the foundation. Take care how you build. And so that means for all of us, take care how you give counsel to people. Don't just throw thoughts out there that you haven't thought through. Don't just give people random advice that you just feel like in your gut works because our gut can be really deceptive. Be careful how you send emails and talk to one another. Be careful how you speak at home group. And be careful what your conversations are like here. Now, I'm not saying don't do any of those things and be afraid to share and give encouragement. What I am saying is give it some thought. And don't do harm by not giving some thought before your words come out. Think about it. And then encourage with wisdom and truth something that someone would receive so much in a, in a better way. Wouldn't I much rather have you guys come and encourage me when you thought through it and said, this is how I can encourage you, rather than you just throwing stuff off? Yeah. Everybody would be more honored than that. And so think through how you build. Take care how you do it. And this is Paul's warning to them. There's, there's this showing of humility in communication with others. This is what it is. There, there shouldn't be this, this blurting out the first thought that comes to our mind because often the first thought that comes to our mind is not an ideal thought. And so take care how you build. There ought to be times when people ask us something. Now, what do you think about this? What's your advice and counsel here where we say back to them, you know what? I don't know. I'll get back to you. That ought to be something that happens because we want to be careful how we build. We say, you know what? I want to give that some thought. I want to pray through that a little bit. I want to talk to some other people about that, and then I'll get back with you. Because we don't want to just haphazardly throw things on and act like that's going to be good. It's going to cause problems. And so Paul tells them, take care how you build. We must take care because we're sinful people. We have sinful advice and sinful counsel. And if you don't believe it, then you're, 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 you're in deception. You're being deceived. So take care how you build. We're prone to build haphazardly. And Paul's trying to kind of shake us out of that. Take care how you build here. And undoubtedly, there is a difference in the quality of work that can be done. And you look in verse 12 and 13. It says, Now if anyone lay, builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So the quality of work will be uncovered on the day. And this is the end, right? This is the day that's given in the Old Testament, the day of glory and the day of dread, the day of judgment, the day of salvation. This is the day that he's speaking of here. This is the end and it will all be uncovered. The fire is going to reveal the quality of each one's work. Some of it's gonna be burnt up and some of it is going to remain. And so what he's saying is not that some work is more or less valuable. So if you teach and preach, then you have a more valuable job than someone who just serves behind the scenes. That's not what he's saying. That the preacher and teacher, they're building with precious stones and that the, the other person, they're just dealing with hay and straw and their work's all gonna be burned. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about the work itself. He's talking about the quality of the work. There's not work that's more or less valuable, but there's quality difference in the work that is done by each individual. And so that's what he's talking about. The quality of the work should be and must be compatible with the foundation. And it's hard to get a more quality foundation than Christ Jesus. 
And so the work that is put in is supposed to be that kind of quality. It's supposed to be compatible and, and congruent with the foundation. And so the warning here is to use kind of the gospel as the diagnostic for your work. Is the gospel, if the gospel is the diagnostic, then we want to build with quality using gospel-centered tools, using gospel-centered supplies and materials. And the truth is that it's easy for us to use shoddy materials. It's easy for us to use those things that are going to be burned up. Because we live in this culture that is consumeristic and we want to give people what they want. And don't deny that there's a temptation, even for sojourn, to give people what they want, to make the building everything that everybody ever wanted to come to. So that when we tell our friends to come to sojourn, we can say, yeah, our music is rocking, our building is sweet, we have the best coffee. There's a, a part of us that wants to do that, right? Because we live in this consumeristic age and we want to cater to the consumer. We also live in this age that is full of competition. It's celebrated all over our culture. And so we want to say we're better than the church down the street. We've got this and this and this and they don't have that. If we don't have the better building, we're going to find a niche where we can say we're better in this area. And so when we do these things, we're building with shoddy materials. We're not building with Christ Jesus. We want things that show results that we can point to that are measurable, that we can see and that other people can see. And we can point to that and say, there, look at our building. Look at the results of what's going on. That's not shoddy materials. That looks like good stuff. And Paul's saying this, whatever you're building needs to be congruent with this foundation. We're going to build with quality materials. I love what one author says. He says, if the church is being built with large portions of charm, personality, easy oratory, positive thinking, managerial skills, powerful and emotional experiences, and people smarts, but without the repeated, passionate, spirit-anointed proclamation of Jesus Christ and him crucified, we may be winning more adherents than converts. Well, let that soak in for just a second. Are we going after adherence or are we going after converts? We want to build with the, this passionate, spirit-anointed proclamation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what we want people to be drawn to. Not the other things, not that they're wrong in and of themselves, but when we're actually building, we're building with Jesus Christ and him crucified. We, we don't want adherence. If more adherence is what we're after, then the last day is going to show that our work has been worth nothing. It's all going to be burned up. It's not going to last the fire. And the scary reality is that there is no doubt that many are building this way. It's easy. It comes natural. And Paul is warning us. It's so easy to give yourselves to programs and to buildings and to numbers and to build with shoddy materials. And he is warning us, take care how you build. Put in quality work with quality materials that are congruent with the foundation. And so how can we take care of how we build? How can we do this? We want to build with quality things. How do we do it? And I think there's two easy kind of words or ways to do this. The one is to be Bible-saturated and gospel-centered. I think that that's, that's pretty well sums it up. The way to build is to build as a, one who is Bible-saturated and gospel-centered. In other words, you are saturated in the Scripture yourself, and you're centered upon Christ, as the Scripture is as well. So when we're Bible-saturated, this is what we want to know and do and believe and, and follow and live according to this Word. And we see all of this Word as pointing to Christ Jesus. All of it is lifting Him up as the primary figure throughout the whole thing. And so we want everything to be Bible-saturated and gospel-centered. This is primarily why we go through books of the Bible here at Sojourn. 
why we're going verse by verse through the Corinthians and why it may take us forever. And we don't care because we want to be Bible saturated. What we don't want up here is someone to give their own opinion and thoughts and for you guys to take that and live it out there. What we do want is for people to see and hear and receive instruction from the word and take that out there and live it out. And so what we're going to do is we're going to keep doing this because we want to be Bible saturated. When we come in here, we don't just want to have a sermon that could be preached in a synagogue where every Jew could agree. We want them to say, no, there is a Christ and he was crucified and he is our Savior and he is our Lord. And so you go out of here thinking Jesus is lifted up and he was exalted and it was full of scripture. That's what we want. That's our goal at Sojourn. And it's not just for the leadership. We want that to overflow into every single person so that all of you can go home, read your scripture, read your Bible day in and day out, meditate on it, chew on it, think about it, and be full of love and praise for Jesus as the central figure. This is how we build. It's being Bible-saturated and gospel-centered. This is why we talk about Jesus. This is why we talk about the gospel so much. This is why we work through books of the Bible. Because we want that to be what we are building. And so we want this to overflow into our conversations and our emails and our thoughts that we give at home groups. We want this to overflow into everything. We want people to be Bible-saturated and gospel-centered, to see Jesus on every page, to see his greatness in, in every little piece of Scripture that is laid out there before us. And when that happens, then our teaching to other people and our counsel to other people and our prayers for other people is flowing from that foundation. It's flowing from the scripture. It's flowing from Christ and what he wants for his church. When that happens, our disciples that we're making aren't built on a personality or charm. They're built on the scripture, built on Christ Jesus. They're built on the foundation that they need to be built on. So that if a leader dies and goes away, no one falls because we're built on Christ. He's the one who upholds us. He's the one who upholds this church. This is how Paul built. This is how we are to build. With the foundation of Jesus teaching this Bible-saturated stuff that's pointing to Jesus over and over and over again. And this is what Paul says. This is how he builds, and this is what gives him confidence as well. And he is sure that his work isn't going to be burnt up. If you look in 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians, I mean, once again, Paul has gone through a lot with these people, and they are messed up. But he's built them on this foundation, so he knows that his work wasn't in vain. If you look in 2 Corinthians 1.14, he says that on that day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. That's quality material that he's put on there. That's quality building that he's done. He can boast of them on that day. It won't be burnt up. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, it says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul is built in these disciples that he's made all over. He goes and he plants churches and he invests in disciples and he gives them sound teaching based upon Jesus Christ and him crucified, expounding the scriptures in light of what Jesus has done. And he says, I'm sure that I'm going, you're going to be my joy. You're going to be my crown. They say, I'm building in a way that's quality. that's going to last. This is how we're to build. Paul built well with this Bible teaching that's gospel-centered. And the quality work that we put in receives reward. Look at verse 14. He says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, that it's quality material, he is going to receive reward. If you built on a foundation that survives, he will receive a reward. Now, isn't that amazing to think about? There's a reward Paul says in verse 10 that it's by God's grace that he's doing these things. 
And so the foundation that he laid was by God's grace. The teaching that he's given is by God's grace. Paul was called out of his dark life and, and terroristic community into the gospel of Jesus Christ by God's grace. And it's by God's grace that he's building this foundation and by God's grace that he's going out and he gets a reward. So in other words, he didn't deserve any in the first place. And yet God is going to heap grace upon grace for those who build with quality stuff. There's reward here. Paul works by God's grace and he's rewarded because of God's grace at work in him. What a great deal. But the other side of the coin is in verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. The other side of the coin is that some suffer loss, though they are still saved, as through the fire. And the idea is that this person is, is kind of pulled out in the nick of time. That they, He's been addressing them as saints. He's been addressing them as those who have the Spirit. But somehow along the way, they've been getting off. They haven't been viewing things through a Christ-centered lens. They haven't been building on the foundation of the gospel. They've been using shoddy materials. And somehow all their work is burned up, and yet they're still saved. Just in the nick of time is kind of the idea that he's getting out there. And what we should do with verse 14, I think, is just to continue to take it as a warning. Now, Paul isn't as specific as we'd like him to be here. We would like for him to explain all this out, like, how can you build with shoddy materials and be saved? I don't know. And I don't think that's Paul's scope of what he's getting at. What he is getting at is warning them, don't do this because this is what happens. You're going to be saved just in the nick of time. And so it's, it's a warning for us to think through. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's not specific in, in all the directions that we'd like it to be. And so we don't have all the explanations for what he means here. But we do have that it's a warning that needs to be taken seriously. Those who build in a way that's not incongruent with the foundation are in danger of losing every single thing that they've worked for and just being saved in the nick of time. So take care how you build. That's what he's pointing them to. Some work is going to be burned up. Take care how you build. Be careful. Give it some thought because there are consequences as the fire reveals the work that each one has done. So this is some vivid imagery. This is some tough language, some stern warnings from Paul, and he does it for a reason. So we've kind of moved from the foundation to the builders and how they should build to now to the reason. Why should they take care? Why are there these warnings? Here's the reason. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The local church, like Corinth, is God's, God's temple where God's spirit dwells. The local church is where God's spirit dwells. Like, Wrap your mind of that reality that we are God's temple. This is Corinth. This is a local church, just like we are a local church. This is where God's spirit dwells. And so we often just bash, neglect, speak lightly of the local church and its nature as God's temple. And, and, and it's just so incongruent with the scripture. This is God's temple where God's spirit dwells. We need to be careful with how we talk about that church. So if you're not into the local church, you've experienced a lot of pain and hurt from that, not really into going to that anymore. But maybe you're not in, as much into God as you think because God's into the local church. God says, this is my temple. This is where my spirit dwells. And so he doesn't just say, if you had a bad experience, just forget about it because that's what I did. No, this is where his spirit dwells. And the foundation is Christ Jesus. This building bears his name. We ought to be into the local church. God's into it. He's fully invested there. 
And so we come to church not out of some sort of duty, not out of some sort of ritual, and just as just as how I was brought up. We come here because this is what God has called us to do, and this is where God's Spirit dwells. It's among us. It's in the presence. It's, it's the presence of God that marks the local church off from all other assemblies. And Corinth could look around. The Corinthians could have seen lots of temples in Corinth. Plenty to choose from. Plenty of worship ways you could go on a Sunday or Saturday or any day of the week, really, for those in Corinth. Plenty of ways you could have gone. Plenty of things you could have worshipped. But there's one that's set apart that's different because God's Spirit's there. And that's the church of the living God. It's different. It marks this church off. It marks them off as individuals. The Spirit's there. Last week we know the Spirit's in individuals. The Spirit's in the church as well. And so Paul is, is building his argument. This is God's temple. This is where God's Spirit dwells. Take care how you build here. Be careful what you do here. And then he even takes it up another notch. Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, it's possible that up to this point, Paul has been speaking to genuine believers. And he's, so far we have all this thought and idea that he's, he's been talking to genuine believers. People that he says have the spirit. People he says he addresses them as saints. And so, although some of their work might be burned up, they'll still be saved. I mean, that's kind of the thought so far. And that now, kind of now that we get to verse 16 and 17, it's possible some think that he's kind of switched to a different group. A group that's genuinely not believers, that they're, they're unbelievers that are building. And so they're, they're working not for this building, but kind of against it. And so much so that it's going to be destroyed and that they will be destroyed as well. That's possible. Some people take it that way. That their destroying of the church reveals their true colors and that they'll be destroyed as well. That's one way. Or it's possible that, sees, that, that Paul sees this as such a serious warning that, that God will use this warning in verse 17 as a means to, to stop or to keep genuine believers from actually destroying the temple. Does that make sense? So, so the, the genuine believer will see this warning in verse 17 and, and be, that will be used by God to keep them from going down a path that will destroy the temple and destroy themselves. That's possible as well. That's kind of where I lean. In other words, the, the warning prevents the Christian from destroying himself and destroying the temple because the warning is heeded. The warning is, is taken. That's kind of how I take it. But either way you take it, how serious is this warning? And that's the idea, right? That Paul is warning them, stop, take care how you build because there are consequences to these things. And so be careful what you do here because this is the church where God's spirit dwells. So maybe some of you are thinking, the, the church will be destroyed? Doesn't Jesus say that he's gonna build his church and the gates of hell are gonna, never gonna prevail against that church? So what's, what's going on here? Well, I think that Jesus is, is right and that, and that Paul is right. Yes, the gates of hell will never prevail against the universal church. Never will happen. But what has happened is local churches have been destroyed and wrecked in many, many different ways. And so can the church be destroyed? The local churches can absolutely be destroyed, can absolutely destruct. The universal church, it'll stand. Those genuine believers, they'll stand. But the church, the local church can be destroyed. This is why we pray for persecuted church, because what persecution has done in certain areas of the world has completely eradicated church life. Some places it's done the opposite, but sometimes it's completely gotten rid of all believers, that there are none there. They've destroyed them. 
That's reality for some places. The local church can absolutely be destroyed. The universal church will march on, but some local churches will be destroyed, and we see it all around us. There are numerous ways that the local church can be destroyed. One author says it this way, the ways of destroying the church are many and colorful. Raw factionalism will do it. Rank heresy will do it. Taking your eyes off the cross and letting other, more peripheral matters dominate the agenda will do it. Building the church with superficial conversions and wonderful programs that, are rare, that rarely bring people into a deepening knowledge of the living God will do it. Entertaining people to death but never fostering the beauty of holiness or the centrality of self-crucifying love will build an assembly of religious people, but it will destroy the church of the living God. Gossip. Prayerlessness, bitterness, sustained biblical illiteracy, self-promotion, materialism, all these things and many more can destroy a church. Amen. That's a lot of things. I think he is absolutely right. As those who are members or at least attendees of a local church, we need to take care how we build. The reason that Paul gives such a stern warning here is because this is the church that is laid on the foundation of Christ. This is the church that God says, this is my temple. My spirit dwells there. It bears the name of the living God and it's holy. So take care how you build on it. Be careful with what you do. So why are quality builders and quality materials so important? Because there's a foundation, and it's Jesus. Because it builds, it bears his name. Because this is God's temple. His spirit dwells there. It's holy. This is why it matters how you build. This is why you should take care. This is why you should give it some thought. It's hard to overemphasize, once again, how amazing and serious and important the nature of the local church is. That it's God's temple. That God's spirit dwells there. This is a stern warning. It's pretty heavy stuff, but there's good news. We have all we need to be a faithful local church. If you look back in verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God given to me. According to the grace of God given. It's by God's grace that we are a local church. It's by God's grace that we have a foundation of Christ Jesus. It's by God's grace that we build these things. He has given us what we need to be faithful. He has told us that we are his temple, that he has even put his spirit there. He loves this place more than we do. He cares about its direction and its building more than we do. He says even of us that you are sanctified, you are saints, and that your local church is holy. This is by God's grace that it's been given. And as we walk forward in God's grace, knowing that we have what we need to be a faithful local church, to be a glory to God, let us all take care, by God's grace, how we build. Let's pray. Father, would you just help us to heed the seriousness of this warning? That we would be careful how we deal in this local body. Not that we'd be afraid and fearful, but that we'd be thoughtful and considerate knowing that this is the building that bears your name, not ours. That your name's at stake here, not ours. 
So God, would you help us to take care how we build on it? Would you help me to watch every single word? Would you set a guard over our mouth and keep watch over the door of our lips that we may not say something or build in a way that would not be honoring to your name? Would you, by your grace, help us to be builders that will use quality materials, that will be making disciples that love Jesus and walk according to his word, that we would be teaching things that are just saturated with the scripture and that are pointing to Jesus, that people would see him as their only hope. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Only the name of Jesus. May we be building on that foundation. We're going to need your grace to do that. We are so prone to build on something else. We are so sinful. So prone to just blurt things out or to build haphazardly. Would you help us by your grace to reject those things, to walk away from our sinful desires, to walk away from our sinful inclinations, and to walk by your grace and for your glory. God, build your church, and may the gates of hell never prevail against it. Amen.